This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Which most people should have already been on this, gone to the news feed. So you go to zupans.com, you sign up for the, the newsletter, which comes out periodically and tells you what you're going to get that's really special as mm-hmm. a good deal. As a matter of fact, uh, a sneak peek for next week, February 21st through the 23rd, 25% off lamb and veal. Oh, yeah. So if you're into lamb and Easter's, veal. Easter's coming up. I think a lot of people do lamb for Easter. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I, so, my family never did, but, but I've heard of people doing lamb for Easter. Right. And aside from that, aside from that offer for lamb and veal, often there's a free thing. Yep. That, you know, it's always nice to walk into the Zupans and say, I'm going to look for this free item. And when you check out it, doesn't cost you anything. It's pretty great. Right now, taking place through March 3rd, it's Ciao Italia, culinary journey through Italy at your local Zupans. They've got new Italian products, or Italian products, as my dad might say, uh, including pasta, tomatoes, pestos, truffles, and more uh, Italian wine. They've got uh, tasting events taking place at both the Burnside and Lake Oswego locations. And here's my favorite thing on February 22nd, and I'll make sure to get there. I know I'm going to be in town then. Um, from 11 to 3, an afternoon of Italian products sampling throughout the stores. So if you have never been to Zupan's, go on that day. Oh, yeah. And then you'll get a feel for the store and you'll eat pretty well. You got to do it. And Chris, this is uh, uh, timely for today, Valentine's Day. Tomorrow, if yes. you're listening to this on the day of release. Oh, is it? You have until 5 p.m. today, February 13th, to uh, get with your local Zupan's and have fresh flowers delivered for your Valentine. Or... If flowers aren't your thing, beef wellington. Oh, yeah. No, it's, I'll take that any day. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, as always, the, the the floral department at Zupans is pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's, take it's advantage great. of it. Yep. You can order your Valentines online at Zupans.com. Don't forget, they got the three locations, McAdam, West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and always where? Zupans.com. Here we go. It's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. Is that it? I'm the only one? Who are you? Well, I'm Cork Johnson from Kink.fm. Yeah. Should I just start uh, doing the do? You know, I think it was (laughs) almost like a year ago for 2019, you and I said, hey, let's swap the way we do these intros. Right. And then we never did it. Yeah, there's so. Do you know how many things we've talked about doing talked about, that sure. we never did? This is seven years. Yeah, and well, actually, we made a change today in today's podcast. Yeah, and which, we actually executed it. Oh yeah, no, and you executed it perfectly. Oh, I don't know. I'm not really. Yeah, but no, it's good. It, it's one more little challenge during the interviews because I like to. Sometimes I really fail with segues, going from one thing to the other. Sure. Now, now you have a reason to not have to segue. Well, no, I have to segue. Now I have to find a good break point. Okay, oh. this is good. And so when we get to the break points, right. I'm actually talking about what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break. Because sure. we're so fortunate to have such wonderful sponsors of yeah. the podcast. And I don't say that I don't say that with lightly. I say that in a genuinely, heartfelt, yeah. Yeah, genuinely in a heartfelt way to have a food ca- podcast in Portland and have sponsors. You've already heard them, but, um, you know, like, Zupans and Ringside and now the whole Toro Bravo group. Yeah. 
It's really cool. So we're pleased about that. We are. And so um, we have to create some segues to get to those spots. And we hope you listen to them. We hope they're interesting enough commercials to stay with them. Sure. And uh, Or maybe maybe more important, whether they're uh, uh, entertaining or not, that you're, you're going to Zupans, that you're going to Ringside, that you're going to the many great uh, Toro Bravo uh, restaurants. It's worth listening to. Yeah. I mean, if you're into food and you're listening to this podcast, you should be interested in the, what, sure. they, what they have to offer yeah. and why you should go. Yep. So that's that's neither here nor there, but enjoy the segues. We hope they work okay into the commercials and out of the commercials. Well, from what I saw, they look great. Yeah, okay, great. We'll, we'll see how it works when well, I stitch them together. Well, let's. but the good thing is that we had an idea and we've executed it. We just recently changed yeah. our intro music. Yep. Uh, you're certainly welcome to comment on it. On no one ever comments on our podcast, but we know people are listening. Sure, so that's a yeah, good we do. thing. But we rarely get comments either directly as emails to us or. But go and please rate, rate, subscribe, download, tell your friends. Yeah, follow us on Instagram. Thing. I tell you, I'm I'm kind of disappointed when I see so many. When we started this podcast, people didn't know where to get podcasts. They right. didn't even know what they were. Yeah, now. There are so many of them, and everybody's listening to podcasts. And everybody has a podcast. Everybody's got a podcast, and then people are always saying, hey, what, I'm going away. What are some new podcasts? And I'm always looking for Right at the Fork. And there's so many podcasts out there. Once in a while, I see someone recommending this podcast, but recommend it. So what you're doing is putting everybody on notice that uh, we need to start showing up in those lists. Yeah, or else. Right, or or else. Yeah, so... But uh, it's a great way to start off this podcast, Chris. Yeah. Threats. Listen, you're always going to find something in our archives that is of interest. Uh, we think you'll find this of interest. Kelsey Glasser of Arden, uh, Arden Bar and Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk a little bit about the, uh, the change of names and emphasis and what's gone on over there. She's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't ask her age, and I didn't mean to, but it seems like she's done a lot in a very short period of time yeah. in her life. And so to right now, um, owning this beautiful restaurant, um, where we happen to be having an event on February 27th, and as of the recording of this, and I think this comes out around right before Valentine's Day, we still have room. Okay. So portlandfoodadventures.com, check out Eric Van Clay, he's the chef there. We talk a lot in this podcast about Eric and the influence that he's had there and what he brings to the party, so to speak. Um, but Kelsey has, uh, you know, grew up in this area and ended up, uh, she was an aspiring actress and went to NYU and also Los Angeles. And in the process of that, got into the, the wine and restaurant industry. So yeah. uh, it's an interesting uh, local girl makes good story, and uh, and Kelsey's going beyond that to feature women winemakers, um, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, over the whole year. So if you want to go out to Arden and enjoy that as well, um, do. Um, but speaking of enjoying things, we think you'll enjoy this interview with Kelsey Glasser um, right now. Now that was a good segue. <laughs> Right at the Fork is brought to you by the Toro Bravo Inc. Restaurant Group. Serving Portland since 2007 at Toro Bravo, Mediterranean Exploration Company, Tasty and Alder, Tasty and Daughters, Shalom Y'all, Bless Your Heart Burgers, and Gastronomic Society and Event Space, Plaza del Toro. For restaurant and event information, visit torobravoinc.com. Zupan's Markets. 
inspiring you with the best in food and wine. Local, family-owned Zupan's Markets provides a unique grocery shopping experience for Portland food lovers. Excellent products sourced locally and from around the globe with delicious chef-prepared meals for your convenience on West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Visit Zupans.com and sign up for your exclusive deals and promotional offers. Ringside Hospitality Group. Owned by the Peterson family for 75 years, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a Portland landmark, famous for its steaks, world-renowned onion rings, and unsurpassed service. And now, with extended happy hours, where you can enjoy a wide array of dishes on the bar menu for half off. Visit ringsidesteakhouse.com and make a reservation today. And by Portland Food Adventures. Join right at the Fork host Chris Angelus for once-in-a-lifetime luxury food and wine vacations with his Portland chef and artisan friends in 2020. Urdaneta's Javier Canteras takes you to magical Spanish Basque Country for 10 days in April or explore beautiful and rustic Western Sicily in October. Contact Chris Angelus through portlandfoodadventures.com. It's been working, and, <laughs> and, and I'm excited about it because we love Eric. We love Eric, too. He's been a real godsend. He's great. Good. And so uh, how long has he been there now? He's been there since July, um, so almost seven or eight months now at this point. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, it's good to actually meet you face-to-face because I think we had our first conversation... Months ago. Months and months uh-huh. ago. So, <laughs> long time getting here. Likewise. So, um, thanks for coming on a... Yeah. We saw, there was, I don't know if you noticed, a little bit of sunlight just now. I know. A little bit of blue sky. I the don't know about sunlight. The weather's been so weird. It's, it's been great. It's, this time of year. Well, no, 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 no. It hasn't been great for the last month. The last couple of days have been They've been nice. We've yeah. gotten a few. You take it in small doses. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about Arden. Yeah. We'll, we'll go there and then we'll kind of go backwards a little bit. Okay. And um, if you see me looking at my phone, it's not because I'm checking text messages, it's because this is where I have all our notes. That's great. So You can uh, be scrolling Instagram. It's fine. That'll be me. <laughs> okay, that, <cool. laughs> that's Court's deal. Usual no, now. <laughs> it's my deal, but I try, to, you know, I try to turn everything off. So here's what happens mm-hmm. when we record generally on Mondays. Mm-hmm. I have all, every sound, every notification off. And then I don't realize it until Friday. And so there are all sorts You've of things. You've missed your I, whole week's yeah, updates. And it's okay. There's <laughs> nothing that is completely, the world is still going on without yep. all of that. Um, but you, so uh, Arden is, how long have you had Arden now? Arden will be two years old in March. So it's still pretty young. And what was the, what was the reason for the name? Let's go there first. Well, um, our, the Forest of Arden uh, in Shakespeare's As You Like It was um, kind of this mythical forest where everyone went to escape the city and kind of the corruption and hustle and bustle of the court and live off the land and live this kind of simple romantic life where they would write poetry in the trees and sing songs and just kind of hang out and be at peace. Um, so we thought it was a nice kind of symbol of kind of an oasis in the middle of a busy, stressful life and city sort of environment. Well, that's great. I wish I would have known that. I, I can't <laughs> admit that. Oh, yes, that. No, I, it, it's a pretty name just on its own. And it is. And you can spell it easily and, you know, it, it's not complicated, but we like that there's a fun little backstory, too. Well, good. There's. It's good to have that story. Again, I'm, I humbly admit I didn't know. No, that's okay. I, you know, it might, I might have read that back in high school. But 
There's yep. not much I remember from two weeks ago, much less high school. So. It, it's also a place that was kind of run by women and especially a play about women in men's roles. And granted, we don't have Sarah as our chef anymore. But mm-hmm. when we first opened, you know, she and I were kind of running the food and wine side by side. So mm-hmm. it, it had a good little double meeting as well. Good. And speaking of words, have you not changed the actual descriptor of Arden? So it's gone from Arden Wine Bar when you opened, I believe? Yeah, it was Arden. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. It was Arden Wine Bar and Kitchen when we first opened. And, you know, I, I think people clung on to the wine bar part more than the kitchen part. And the intention was that it was always going to be a full restaurant because we had first opened a wine bar two blocks away, Thelonious. Um, and the idea is that this would be a sister restaurant where people could go to get a full meal. Um, so we realized pretty early on that that was misleading for people. And mm-hmm. it was also the year that all of the wine bars right, in Portland say, opened. Yes, yeah, so that was Anateca Nostrana and Dame, OK Omens. And OK and Omens, Canard even. So everything was known as a restaurant that was a wine bar. Exactly. But, but isn't that interesting that two years later, not necessarily... The case here. Yeah, I mean, there's still, I think finally, I mean, we still get people walking in saying, oh, I had no idea you were a full restaurant. I've never been in because I thought you just served wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's good that people are still kind of finally having that realization. Um, and it was great to be kind of, I guess, writing the coattails of all of that press that that wine and wine bars were getting when mm-hmm. we opened um, you know, because we got written up in all of the publications because everyone was really into wine. Um, and everyone's really into lists, too. So totally. as soon as you mention wine bar, someone needs a list of 10 places. Exactly. And we got really lucky, which I didn't realize, because we named it Arden, which comes first in the alphabet. <laughs> you should have named it Double A Arden. A-A-R-D-E-N. Or Number One Arden, yeah. So yeah, it worked out. Um, so, and, and you've evolved over time. So having Eric uh-huh. Van Clay in there, not that everybody would know. So f- formerly of, I mean, let's go back to the pigeon. Well, yeah, it yeah. goes back to Michigan and Arizona too yep. before that. But as far as Portland goes, yeah, the pigeon uh-huh. and really little bird, which yeah. sadly just closed. Yep. Um, was opened up as Eric's place. Gabriel, you know, they needed a place to put Eric because he was yeah. getting to the point where he needed to really grow. Yeah. So they opened Little Bird for, for him, and he ran that what four years? I think it was. Yeah, I think he was at Little. I think he was at Le Pigeon for four years and Little Bird for five years. Five. Yeah. yeah okay, so nine years mm-hmm. at two of the best. Yeah. Restaurants. Then he opens Taylor Railworks, uh-huh. which was. In my mind, one of my, at the time, that was my hang. Yeah. I used to love to go there to hang at the at the bar and yeah. talk what. So, and sadly that closed. Mm-hmm. It was at a couple of years, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think it, he was open for three years. Right. Yeah. And um, and I'm, uh, I'm going through this because we can get somewhere else with yeah. it too. And then he went to a canto. Uh-huh. And then that's, and then, then Barcasa Valley. Yep. So, uh, and to you. Yeah. So we just did an event with him at <laughs> Bar Casavale. We did the opening yeah. night of Taylor Railworks. Did you know that, that we did the opening night? I, I didn't know it was the opening night. I knew you did a dinner with him. But. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was just really beautiful. Cool. It's one of those really nice ones. And I um, look back and feel honored that Portland Food Adventures has been able to do some things like that. 
But at any rate, so Eric has some chops. <laughs> just so, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. And he's worked in many different conditions. And he probably, I want to a little later get to the state of the Portland restaurant industry yeah. because we just talked about a number of incredible places that yeah. closed. Um, but now Eric's in your tiny little kitchen. Uh-huh. And very doing really well. I talked to him a few weeks ago. He's very happy. Yeah, there. I hope so. He really enjoys um, a lot about it. Yeah, um, but has some challenges in the tiny kitchen. It's a really small space, and I don't think we quite. I mean, I'm not a cook, and so we knew looking at it when we opened it that it was a small space. Um, and and Sarah, our original chef, kind of helped us design the layout of it, and I think we've made the best of the situation that that we can um but it there's no walk-in um all of our refrigeration is under counter it's basically four coolers mm-hmm. it's really small so they're having to reorder ingredients basically every single day which um, is good which That's means good. everything's very fresh right um but there's also you know there's not a back prep room um and people have asked oh why don't you open for lunch and we physically don't have the space to do anything but dinner service because they're prepping in there all day right. Um, and it's, I mean, I should know the square footage of the kitchen, but it's tiny. It's like four feet by 15 feet or something like That's that. 60. 60. <laughs> <laughs> Doing it on the fly here. No, yeah. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's very, very small. Um, and I, I think it's, it, it probably forces them to be really creative with what they can accomplish in there. There's only four burners. Um, you know, so they have to be very specific about the dishes that they use and the ingredients that they use. But it's also, I think it probably makes them tired. Um, it's a lot to think about and a lot to worry about. And, and Eric's doing a great job. Um, and I think hopefully he's getting a little more used to the constraints. Um, I know coming in, he really wanted to get familiar with the space before he started to change it. So he, kept on with uh, Sarah's menu as it had been for Mm -hmm. four to six weeks and started gradually changing things here and there, um, which I think speaks to how um, methodical he is and, and, you know, attentive to details. Like I think some chefs would have come in and had a lot of ego and just immediately changed the menu to, you know, their, their dishes. Mm -hmm. But he realized that, you know, he didn't want to totally disrupt service or, you know, come up with something that they couldn't execute. So, yeah, I, I, he's he's been really smart about the way he's handled things. And how, what kind of staffing is in there at dinner? There's so, just three of them. Three. Um, and some nights there's only two cooks in the kitchen, Eric and one other person or our sous chef, Brandon. I mean, there's basically just Eric, Brandon, and Ethan. Um, we have been bringing in help on certain nights, um, especially during the holidays. We had a lot of parties and... Um, going into dining month, but we are going to go back to five days a week in April um, because we've been at this weird place where we're not quite staffed enough to make six days easy for them and we don't want to burn everyone out, um, but we don't quite have the hours to give to to another full-time cook. Mm -hmm. So Sundays have always been not quite, you know, as busy as we'd like them to be. And so we're going to go down to five days a week, which is how we originally started. And it was great. Um, and that'll that'll mean that all three of them are there all five days. So do you want people to think of Arden as a restaurant yes. that happens to have excellent wine? Yes. Or, or this is a place to get great wine and eat? The former. Um, I mean, we do have a great wine program, but all of the wines are kind of 
intended to be enjoyed alongside food. And the wine program is designed, yeah, to complement the menu. Um, so it's not like the food is decided based on the wine. It's the other way around. Um, and, you know, we do half glasses and we do full glasses, but we don't really do wine tastings. We don't do flights. You know, that we do a winemaker dinner series, but it's really about the relationship between food and wine and not just tasting through stuff, you know. So how did you, how did you, what initially got you excited about wine? You know, you're still young, so that it couldn't have been long ago. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I guess, focused on wine for about eight years, but I've been in restaurants for... 12 years now um, and it was when I got out of college and moved to Los Angeles and I'd been you know cocktail serving where'd go, and where'd you go to college I went to NYU oh nice um, yeah I'm from here so you grew up here and ended yeah. up in New York that's yep. interesting and in New York for almost five years and then went to LA for about five years almost six years and then came back to Portland um, and so yeah when I moved to LA I didn't have a lot of fine dining experience but I ended up working for Jose Andres at his restaurant the Bazaar um, kind of by fluke. I got really lucky. It was my first job out there and I worked there for four years. How did that become your first job out there? Well, Most people have to start and work. I that. started there as a cocktail server, so I wasn't jumping straight into a server role. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was so much to learn. I mean, they really, there was like two full weeks of training, um, that was involved there because the food is so, specific within you know the molecular gastronomy realm so we had to learn how the olives are spherified and you know how the nitrogen freezes the caipirinhas and there's a lot of science involved and i thought it was really fun um and obviously there's state-of-the-art wine to go alongside the food and it specifically spanish wine so i started learning a lot about spain um and really enjoyed it um and basically, I was I was in L.A. to pursue an acting career. And somewhere along the way, a couple years in, I think this is the story for a good amount of people in L.A. I was going to say. Yeah. You get really burned out on the auditioning thing and kind of feel I kind of felt like I was banging my head against a wall and working hard, but not seeing any progress. Whereas in wine and in restaurants, you know, you could learn and, and work hard and actually move up the ranks, which was great. Um, and so someone suggested to me like, oh, you're really good at the wine thing. Why don't you, you know, do it officially? Why don't you become a sommelier? And I knew nothing about it at the time. Um, but I started looking into it um, and I took my, I kind of just dove in and got my certification, my level two through the court within like four months or so, um, three or four months, which was great. That's diving in. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, that's usually the way I work. It's hard for me to go like half on something. So I'm, we'll, we'll keep on going, but I'm guessing you were a stellar student in school. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a very good student. You're 4.0 4 or close or always yeah. there and driven. Yeah. Were you, was, did that come from your parents? Did, were you, did they drive you? Were you just... You know, they never pushed me in any way. Um but they're both very smart and I was actually homeschooled when I was little because they're hippies and my dad's basically like a rocket scientist and they were, they never wanted us to associate learning with boredom. And so. Wow, that's progressive. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. You so know, and where was this in Willamette Valley that you grew up? They're, they're in between Sherwood and Newburgh and Shoals if you're driving mm -hmm. from the Allison to Ponzi. Oh, that's a beautiful area. Yeah, it's like right there. Um, and they still live out there on five acres. And it was, you know, a really beautiful place to grow up. And because I wasn't in 
you know, normal elementary school. I basically just had homework. I would wake up in the morning and my dad would have made me a list of like, read this book and do these problems. And if I had a question, I would come to him. But I knew that the quicker I did my work, the quicker I could go out and play or go read a book or you know, and what kind, what was playing like in those? Oh, there was days? mostly I mean, outdoors. Like, yeah, to, but did you have a lot of friends that were nearby? Yeah, I don't know what it was like in that. I mean, neck of I the guess woods. school ended. There were a lot of kids out there, but you know, they would be in school until two thirty or three, and so I think I, you know, would wake up, do a couple hours, which was, you know, I'd get my school done in like two or three hours because um, I just wanted to power through it. And then I would read books or I would draw or, you know, kind of have some self-time, which I think was also really good. I think a lot of kids don't get that. Well, yeah, but your self-time then yeah. would be very different than self-time I don't for have kids self-time now. now. Well, no, for <laughs> oh, you yeah, for or kids. for kids now. Because it would be on a screen. Right. Absolutely. It'd be on a screen or phone or something. And I think yeah. you probably were towards the tail end of yeah. when that was My parents happening. didn't have us... Uh, that didn't allow us to watch more than an hour of TV every day. And uh, we didn't have cable. So I can't imagine though, the commitment that it took from your parents to develop your curriculum (laughs) and then do keep on it daily. Did they have any time to themselves? I mean, my, they're both self-employed. And so um, my, my mom owns a, I mean, she's mostly retired now, but kind of a high tech uh, marketing company. And so she was writing marketing stuff for Intel and Hewlett Packard and Microsoft and stuff like that. And so it allowed us to go on a lot of cool vacations and, you know, we would drive down to like the American Southwest and go to all the national parks and do all these hikes. And at the time, I definitely rolled my eyes and <laughs> whined about it. Um, but in retrospect, it was a really special thing. That, some of your best education. Absolutely. Going on those trips. Yeah. And, getting, you know, out of, getting out of the, the, the house. Absolutely. And the, the area. Yeah. So it, it was great. And, you know, my brother... Uh, is not quite as self-motivated as I am. And he started, he wanted to go to school with his friends starting in like fourth grade. And I waited until middle school. And then I started going just for the fun classes. So I went for like band and drama and home ec and just, it was more of a social experience. And drama stuck, which strikes me as pretty interesting because if you were a little bit of a loner in elementary school, (laughs) you didn't have the outlet to to be um, expressive and theatrical at home, unless it was your parents, hey, stand right here and watch me do this. No, I mean, I I actually started coming into Northwest Children's Theater when I was like eight. Um, My parents brought me to see plays and I really loved it. And Northwest Children's Theater has this very active school part of it and so they would drive me in during the summer and I would do all these classes and and that's sort of where I fell in love with it um but yeah taking a a a drama class was definitely a, a social experience but my poor parents I wanted to I was the kid who wanted to do everything I wanted to do dance I wanted to you know take this class and played all the sports so while I wasn't at school during the day I was definitely still going down to school to have soccer practice and then basketball practice and oh so you you, know, you could do that I could, they, yeah it turns out the school system lets you kind of do whatever you want well, that's interesting <laughs> yeah so I had all the social perks of you know public school without having to go to any of the classes um, and I started going full time in high school and actually just realized what how much time is wasted you know it was kind of surprising to me that you know you, you it wasn't like oh as soon as you get the work done you're done for the day. You had to sit there for an hour and kind of 
learn everything along the way. Even if you grasp the concept, you're still going to talk about it for another 45 minutes. Um, but it was fun. It was it was a good experience, you know. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's take a little break here. Yes. And when we come back, we'll, I want to talk about getting out of town. Cool. And to New York. What drove you to that? Cool. Hey, Chris, let's talk about Toro Bravo, Inc., the great restaurant group right here in Portland. Right, which also includes Toro Bravo. Toro Bravo, Tasty and Daughters, Tasty and Alder. Uh, you've got the Mediterranean Exploration Company. I've got reservations for that at the end of the month. I'm excited. Shalom, y'all. Bless your heart burgers and... Plaza del Toro. Yeah, you were so, just there last night. Yeah, so um, anyone who's familiar, the uh, Plaza del Toro is a beautiful restaurant space. It used to be on the east side. They just opened up the new location in the Pearl, which is, for those of you who have been here a while, you might remember the old Trader Vic space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went, uh, not only their opening party on Thursday night, um, it's a gigantic space. It's, it accommodates a lot of people, so yeah. it's great for weddings and so forth and um, uh, local collaboration dinners. Big corporate parties. Big corporate parties. But I went last night. They did their first. I Actually, I thought it was their first, but it wasn't. They had done. They snuck one in. They're so busy mm. over there. They snuck one in. But it was. Uh, they brought over Wanho from uh, Wanho Canals from Madrid. Uh, from Connemore oh, nice. to do a a, a dinner, um, and they they uh, indicated there was an intimate dinner with Juanjo Canals, and it was it was twenty people. Oh wow! In a space that usually accommodates at a dinner like that 60, 80. and you know it's going to be well done when it's one of John Gorham's restaurants, John and Renee Gorham's restaurants, and right. their whole team. Yeah, uh, you know it's going to be a great event. So last night was delicious. I really enjoyed everything. And their hospitality is second to none. We know the food is great. So pretty much, no matter what your dining occasion is going to be, Toro Bravo Inc. Scotch covered. Yeah, go there and oh, make sure you're on their news from the bullring mm-hmm. email list, and then you're going to find out about these dinners, and you're going to find out about what's going on, and you can make reservations at many of Toro Bravo Inc. restaurants now, which a, a couple of years ago you couldn't have a right. year ago. Just v- very nice and convenient. ToroBravoInc.com is the website where you can get signed up for all of that. All right. So you, um, what, what drove you to, so here's my thing about Oregon. People who grew up here, I don't know, and I always like to hear it, if they appreciate Oregon as much as those of us who jumped through hoops to move out here, because yeah. I did. It wasn't, I mean, it's not something you could just click a finger and do. Yeah. So... I think asking someone who grew up here, went away to two the, the two largest co- cities in the country, <laughs> and then came back, um, if you your appreciation for all the good things that are good about Oregon, and I have to believe that you have them because you know the absolutely the best of you know what's grown here is part of your psyche and part of your ethos is yeah. a better word. Now, so what drove you to go to New York? What it was acting. Um, I, I went to NYU to study acting at, at Tisch at their big program. Um, and I, I had known that I wanted to go there for a while. Uh, for the couple last couple years of high school, I guess, I kind of settled on that as my goal school to get into. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I, to quickly kind of answer your question about appreciating Oregon, I mean, 
I didn't appreciate Sherwood, that's for sure. I spent as little time there as I possibly could and kind of had a chip on my shoulder about it, but I spent a lot of time in Portland uh, doing theater when I was in, in my teen years, and I loved Portland, but because I wanted to be a professional actress, I also knew that I needed to go to New York or L.A. Um, so I always loved Portland, and it was always quirky and fun, and I had a blast spending time there here. But I, I always wanted to go to a bigger city. And so New York was about as opposite of an experience as I could get from growing up on five acres in Sherwood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I really didn't feel like I got a college experience. You know, I just got a New York City experience because NYU doesn't have a campus. It just kind of plops you down into the middle of Manhattan and you have to fend for yourself, which I really loved. Some kids had a harder time assimilating I would imagine it would chew up a lot of small town kids. Yeah. I mean, the acting program that I went into was so rigorous and it was so um, tight knit. Uh, like there was, I guess, 40. Now I can't remember. They, they split us into groups. So you worked closely with a group of 15 to 20 kids, you know, three days a week for 12 hours a day. And then you had rehearsals. So you were kind of given this built-in community I, I had roommates that were in like the college of arts and sciences that didn't have that and i think struggled to make friends and meet people because you weren't forced to spend time with such a small group um but i had a lot of fun you know and it was like you know i, I feel bad that my parents spent that much money basically sending me to like drama camp for three years you know um but it was a blast well and not, and not that I'm going to identify the years, but if you did that now, it would be triple or yeah. double. No, it's true. No, double. I'm looking, I'm looking at me, it would be triple. For you. <laughs> it's definitely gotten more expensive. And I, I at least knocked one year off through AP credits in high school. So I saved them a little bit of money there. Did you have any roles in particular that you were that in the plays that you worked on it that stick with you that you enjoyed the most? Were you better at? Uh, high drama, a little comedy. I I was always really into Shakespeare. Um, and okay, <laughs> I, I was a I was a company member of a little tiny company in Portland called Northwest Classical. Um, for the last two years, I was here and I really got into Shakespeare there. And when I was in school, I had a great Shakespeare teacher, and he recommended do, that I do a program in Oxford that they do every summer. So I spent a summer nice. in Oxford oh, very nice. with, you know, amazing teachers, Derek Jacobi and Fiona Shaw and like these great kind of legendary British actors. Um, and so, yeah, that was a big part of it. Um, I did. I mean, we worked on so many different shows. Um, I even like my first show out of college was an off Broadway kids musical. Um, so it was kind of across the board. Um yeah, I guess Shakespeare was sort of my standout for me, but we did a little bit of everything. Do you do you use this is bouncing all over, but do you use any of your theatrical experience as as a sommelier to Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of actors are good at hospitality because, you know, it involves person to person interaction. Um you have the skills required to kind of keep a game face on and and act a little bit because the night is not always going as you want it to go in a restaurant and mm. maybe you don't necessarily feel like being there or maybe this person really pissed you off or you know no, maybe we happen, it never happens it? ever that's and, only that's only after the fact reading your yelp reviews that's <laughs> <exactly>. all <laughs> so i think i think the skills of of kind of playing the part of 
knowing the experience you need to to deliver and and that's different at each restaurant and and so i think a, a lot of actors enjoy the hospitality environment because of that um and you're not sitting in a cubicle at a at a computer you know you and it is a, a physical sort of performative experience you know you're using your whole body and you're running around and you have to be on and you're presenting things to people and you have to talk in a you know you kind of have to learn this script of each restaurant where you work right but you don't have to those that are really good at it do <laughs> and understand that but some are just going through the motions but i i have to say that you know the restaurant experience can be that much better when there's some theatrics involved. When yeah. And by that, I mean a lot of passion. Yeah. So when someone really understands the menu and really wants to help, um, or yeah. is really good at acting about yeah. them wanting <laughs> exactly. to help. Um, shouldn't be able to tell the difference. Right. You shouldn't be able to tell the difference. Um, the experience is that much better. I, you know, I think back, interestingly, some of the Italian restaurants in New York. Yeah. I mean, that is the just... Hearing the specials mm -hmm. can be a theatrical experience. Absolutely, and that is that's what makes it makes the meal as much as the food. Yeah. So you don't. I don't think you get that as much out here mm -hmm. as you as we would like. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think. I mean, I'm thinking back to the bazaar, which was Jose's Jose Andres's restaurant, and. It was very theatrical in retrospect. I've never really thought about it in those Spanish terms. Spanish people, that's all. <laughs> well, but even the way, I mean, the bazaar is like a, uh, God, is it, I think it's like 15,000 square feet. It's huge. And wow. there's like five or six different specific rooms. You start in the bar and, you know, even the cocktails are very theatrical. You know, there's a, a magic mojito where you bring cotton candy in a martini glass and then you pour a little shaker and it disappears and they bring over a, a nitrogen, a liquid nitrogen cart, and they're making you a caipirinha, and there's smoke everywhere. Um, there's a lot of theatrics just involved in the serving of the food, and you know, molecular gastronomy overall. You it's know, conducive it's, to that. Yeah, um, and so I think that was fun for me, and and it did require learning so much information, and you know, telling it back to guests, which is very like. I was good at that because I could learn lines pretty quickly. <laughs> right, you can memorize the me you can memorize every ingredient yeah. in the dish, and and I think you get that in Portland probably more so at you know pre at tasting menu sort of restaurants. But even when people come into Arden, you know, we want it to be an experience that kind of pulls them out of their daily life and and feels different and feels like this kind of comforting and and like simple but kind of living off the land like visually everything is very i don't know earth related in there there's rocks and and wood and greenery and um and kind of dim lighting and it, it should kind of pull you into this other environment that feels different than where you just came from mm -hmm. and the, the small kitchen is also very performative people love sitting up at the chef's counter because you're literally, you know, 18 inches away from our three cooks watching them do everything. They can't hide. And, you know, that's all the more props to Eric and, and his team because they can't, you know, snap at each other or swear or, you know, d freak out because everyone's watching. And I, I did know one chef in Portland that would do that in that situation. <laughs> no longer in Portland. I mean, that's also a show, I guess. It just depends yeah. what show you want to well, give. That's like the uh, you know the car crashes in NASCAR. That's you know people want. Hey, let's go watch this. Absolutely. Doesn't happen very often. And that was <laughs> I mentioned. You know, Eric at 
uh, Taylor Railworks, it was it was a very calming experience to watch everybody almost silently yeah. do their jobs and um, and uh, harmoniously get yeah. everything done. They're always, it's, I mean, even on the busiest nights, they're cracking each other up and, you know, there's a whole litany of inside jokes and phrases that you will hear tossed around at any given time in that kitchen and they all mm-hmm. keep each other smiling. And so it's it's a skill for sure because I've definitely, most of the kitchens I've worked with, you know, you go back there and you kind of like, as front of house skirt around because you don't want to piss anyone and off. Belong, and Yeah. You're not supposed to be there for too long. Yeah. You get out. And people are screaming at each other and yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it's one of the things that um, appeals to me most about the whole, it's what really drove me to get into the food scene here was the theatrics of it because yeah. coming from Connecticut, I didn't see, you didn't see a kitchen. Yeah. You, you sat at a table and it came out. Yeah. And here there were chef's counters. This is back in, you know, the mid 2000s mm-hmm. and early 2000s. There were chef counters and you could you could participate in yeah. a little different way into the in the dining experience than you did I elsewhere. Mean, Pigeon was probably one of the first in Portland, I assume, right? I can't say whether it was yeah. one of the first, but um, yeah, it definitely. And, and that was one of the signature aspects of Le Pigeon was sitting at the chef's counter. Yeah. And still is. Um, and uh, same thing at Canard. Yep. Built around that. Yep. Um, but, you know, there were some others. I remember specifically, this is a little later, but going to Country Cat and loving uh-huh. to hang out with Adam Sappington there. And um, then there was a restaurant called Fife. I, I've heard of that, that, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But those were some of the, and, and taste at Gorham's restaurants, mm-hmm. the early watching the chef experiences and watching the kitchen experiences. Well, I feel like those were probably a little ahead of their time because now there's so much focus on the chef. Like you're right, in the past, you never saw the kitchen. You know, it was mo- it was all the experience of the front of house. And I think a lot of the show went on with the white tablecloth and the very complicated steps of service and the tableside Caesar salads and, you know, stuff like that. And now with the advent of cooking uh, documentaries and, and chef's table and people are fascinated with chefs as you know, as characters and how they all operate. And there's 5 million shows about them. And I think now people want an open kitchen because they want to be able to see what they've seen on TV in real life. It comes from TV. And I also believe, and I've said this, so in seven years of the po- this podcast, anybody who's a regular listener, and thank you for being so, um, <laughs> would have heard this before. But, um, oh man, I just com- completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Something well, about theatrics, TV to documentary to... Yeah, oh, oh, that um, in Portland, you know, so you've been in New York and L.A., uh-huh. and it doesn't sound like you're a real sports fan, but you did like sports. But when I moved here from the New York area, uh-huh. you know, I, I thought... Well, it's fair to say back in 2005, all we had was the Blazers other than a AAA baseball yep. team. Um, the Rockies. The the Rockies? That's it was the was Beavers. Oh, the be- okay. Well, they probably changed a number of times. <laughs> but at any rate, there was, the, all we had was the Blazers. Yeah. So, and with the advent of television, chefs mm-hmm. became elevated. And I thought they were Portland's real celebrities. Yeah. And they were people, uh, unlike any athlete, that you could interact with. You're yeah. eating their food, you know. It's true. Uh, th- no, Brandon Roy at the time was not going to pass me the basketball and yeah. say shoot from outside. But but you could sit at the chef's counter and have a conversation with Gabriel Rucker. Right. And yeah. have him. And the, uh, the other aspect of it, which led to what I'm doing now, is 
unlike the East Coast or even LA, yeah. having chefs tell you where they like to go, where yeah. they hang out, that would never happen in the East, yeah. in, in the East Coast. They would never share uh-huh. a, another place with you. Just come back here. Yeah. So it made everything very unique and spe- and special. And I think we're we're still seeing that, but the the restaurant industry is changing quite a bit. Yeah. Let's get to that when we come back. Okay. Hey, let's pause just a moment here, Chris, talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Of course, over there on uh, West Burnside, mm-hmm. where you're going to find, uh, obviously, the best steaks in town. Sure. In the state. Yep. In the region. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you can you can choose to go dine there for a special occasion or any night. Or, of course, we have Prime Rib Mondays, which are really special, oh, which yeah. I just took advantage of last week, where you get a, a Prime Rib. So it's think. the three-course meal. You get the Prime Rib, you get the, the salad beforehand, some greens. Right. And you get the creme brulee. Yeah. But you can also, here's a lo- another thing, and that's only $39. Yeah. Oh, you can it's tell the great them, deal. Which I did. We want a few more ounces. You want it to be a little thicker, mm-hmm. and they'll do that. So if you want a little more, you can add some sides to it, and it's still a very reasonable experience. I always ringside. do the lobster mash upgrade. You got to do that. Oh, yeah. And then also, of course, go to ringsidesteakhouse.com and check out their happy hour menu, when it occurs, and how you go about it. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic, and you can go and have half off of lots of items on the bar menu. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. The Ringside Steakhouse Bar Burger is easily my favorite restaurant burger. Well, plus, or you can get the steak bites. Sure, you could do that as well, right? And just go right for the steak bites. Oh, it's so good. Ringside, and also the best service in town. We just, on that prime rib night, Mm -hmm. had uh, Colin, who is a really, really nice guy. So I've mentioned Andy and Angelica before, and so many great servers over there. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, if you want to really be taken care of, it's Ringside. So the restaurant industry... You know, we were talking about how intimate it is, Mm -hmm. and things are changing. Now you're seeing a lot of hotels going in. Mm -hmm. The stakes have changed. How many restaurants in the last two years have closed simply because the leases weren't working? They weren't penciling out from a lease standpoint. And that was not the case. I remember years ago when I met um, Ethan Stoll in Seattle, and he was always a little bit envious of Portland because chefs could be more creative because there was not as much at stake. Yeah. And uh, no pun intended. Now, the ball game has changed. How does that affect how you all think? And I know it has to affect, you know, your, your, the nucleus of your organization right now, Eric, has gone through some rocky times yeah. over the last four years. So he's there, I'm sure, uh, you know, cognizant of all that and, and operating in a s- certain fashion. Yeah. I mean, I, he and I have talked about this a lot. Obviously, he has, you know, much more experience in the Portland restaurant scene than I do. Um, but I think, I think yes, lease play, cost, you know, plays a factor. I, I, I think less of the rent is less of an issue than labor and competition. There's so many restaurants in Portland. Um, and I think in a lot of cities, too, like San Francisco went through a lot of closures this last year as well. Michelin starred places and... You know, I, I think the the margins are getting smaller with with the labor going up. I think it's great that minimum wage is increasing, but historically in restaurants, you know, people weren't living off of the minimum wage; they're living off the tips. 
you know, so the the way that the owners can make any money is is through the cost of labor, not totally surpassing the cost of, you know, what people are eating and drinking there. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people are moving to fast casual. You know, Eric and I both feel like it's hard for the classic restaurant model in Portland, especially right now, because all of the press and attention is going to either fast casual or to more formal fine dining restaurants uh, that the model of those that are opening up. Um, and and the two of those are, you got fast casual, which are most owner operators yeah. that that's what they can afford to do. Yeah. And then the other side of it is the fine dining is that's what you're seeing in hotels because they can yeah, subsidize it exactly with with, with the rooms. With, I mean, with rooms and the fact that they have built in clientele exactly. for the restaurant right and there most hotel with expense accounts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, most hotel restaurants don't even make money. Like if it kind of blew my mind when when I learned that a lot of, you know, Michelin two Michelin starred restaurants in hotels are really just there as an amenity for the hotel itself because they will draw people in to pay for these insanely expensive rooms. But there's so much labor involved in fine dining and the steps of service that it is virtually, uh, it's very difficult to make money on those places, even when you're busy because you have such a big staff. Um, And, you know, those places are struggling in Portland too, you know, and that's why a lot of them are only open three or four days a week. and, And the blessing is that, they're not waiting around for walk-ins. You know, they're sort of just planning on the reservations they have and staffing accordingly. Um, but for the normal restaurant model, I mean, I think somehow things are going to have to shift because it's very difficult to 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 operate successfully a, a restaurant right now um, in the world. <laughs> and, you know, especially I think that's why restaurant groups make more sense because the margins are so small that if you just have one, it doesn't make a lot you kind of need three or four um and that it has all been kind of a steep learning curve for me um and if you're not consistently busy then you're really in trouble and especially when you know we felt this at arden you get all of the new press when you first open and and this is a city of the next shiny oh thing. absolutely and it's it's these lists it's the best new restaurants the best new bars the best new wine bars the best new 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 you know, that's all. If eater. we didn't have so many, we wouldn't need lists. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, you know, you look anything on Eater, it's all news. And so once you're not news anymore, you're you're sort of left to fend for yourself. And there's so many new restaurants opening that pretty soon they're not new. And it's kind of this, you know, I, I, I don't like to think about it as so competitive, but you really have to find an edge because at this point, having good food and good service and good ambiance isn't enough because a lot of restaurants have that in Portland. And what's going to make me decide to go to Arden versus 10 of the other great restaurants? You know, you, you have to kind of, I think a lot of it, what we're realize, realizing is coming down to is, you know, the relationships we build with our guests and kind of creating this special experience that's a personal one that, yes, the food is great and the wine is great. And and you, you, those things become a given. You have to be able to accomplish those things. But then it's about this kind of X factor of how do you make people feel special? Because that's really going to determine your survival, I think. 
But there's a second part of that, which goes to PR and everything, but that's keeping a restaurant top of mind. So I can, yeah. I could love, and I, it's happened many times, so many places, but, oh, I haven't thought of going there in a long time. And so, um, you know, you have email lists yeah. and so forth to do that, but it's really difficult in a yeah. city that's so saturated. This is Disneyland yeah. of food um, to remain top of mind. So you've either got... Uh, to rely on getting on those lists, yep. your own email list, yep. or your dedicated clientele yeah. who love you, yeah. who are always there, who bring friends, and that's the first place they think of when they think of the th- that type of dining yeah. experience. Well, and I think want. you know it's very rare if you look at Portland Mercury and Portland Monthly and and all and Oregonian and all the publications. It's very rare to see press for restaurants that aren't a year you know a mm-hmm. year older or younger. Um, you know, yes, there's kind of like the once a year, like best restaurants in Portland list and you want to hope to get on those. But even if you pay people to do PR for you, you know, I've worked with the best, you know, kind of Portland restaurant PR company and and they do an amazing job, but it's still, there's not really availability for a lot of press unless you're doing something new and exciting. And that's something we've realized we have to develop new events in order to get press mm-hmm. pretty much at all. So, you know, we do this winemaker dinner series. Or you this, have a great one coming up. Yeah, we have the first one tonight, actually. Um, it, last year, we developed a pretty all-star lineup, and it was kind of the best of the best of, of Oregon wines, kind of the godfathers, you know, Beaufrere and Brickhouse and, um, you know, a lot of these kind of iconic wineries. Um, and so that was great to sell tickets because everyone wants to come and hang out with Raj Parr and Mike Etzel and Doug Tunnell um, and Larry Stone. And and this year we're like, how are we going to top that? How are we going to make it different? And so it's all local women, which I think is really exciting. Um, you know, Lynn Pinnerash and Louisa Ponzi and Maggie Harrison. Tonight is Brianne Day. Um, and that, again, we can we can kind of send that out and get news on it because it's it's new and shiny and, and exciting and and especially in the age of Instagram and people want people want new things to get excited and, and come in about. So that's been an important realization for us. And it's also on the other side when you're saying it's difficult. On the other hand, you have Instagram now. Yes. So years ago, you had to buy an ad in Portland Monthly. Yes, right? to, exactly. To stay out there. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But now you have an opportunity I've always yeah. said this, and and even with Yelp, when when restaurateurs complain about Yelp, I'm like, well, you have it, yeah, and and it, there are some advantages to it. I know it pisses you off, but on the other no. hand, that's what a lot of people refer to when I go Absolutely. to a, when I go to a market. Sometimes, I mean, a, a city, yeah. Sometimes I'll pull up Yelp, just and and I know how to look. I think I know how to look at the reviews to find the place. Yeah. but you have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, know. the only advertising we pay for is. Facebook, Instagram, and Google. You know, we I, we've tried doing print ads, and and we've kind of realized it, maybe at least with our clientele, the only thing we really see results from is social at this point. And I know the Oregonian and the Willamette Week and stuff don't want to hear that. And maybe it works for other restaurants, but it's also I think there's less cost required. The Oregonian knows it. Yeah, that's, that's why it's so. Th- <laughs> they 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 don't want, they didn't want to hear it for years. Now they I don't think they they've just worked around it. Well, and it's so, expensive. You know, it's yeah. almost a thousand dollars or something to to do a small print ad in one issue of one publication. Right, and whereas it's gone. yeah, and you can spend. You know, you can be very specific with your budget on social and, you know, I don't 
quite understand how it all works. I'd have someone help us with it. Even if you understand it, it changes a year later. So. Exactly. And that's the, that to me has been the challenge because every time I catch up with it, I'm frustrated. I'm older and I don't, it's hard to keep up with all the algorithms. It's yeah. impossible. But. We, we realized our email list is really our most valuable asset in terms mm-hmm. of because the people who are there want to be there mm-hmm. and and we can we you know we send out one newsletter a month and we try to make it interesting we have a blog on the website you know right now we're featuring interviews with all of the winemakers so we have the one with Brian Day up sometimes we'll have recipes sometimes we'll have you know spotlights on farmers um you know we we do fun- a lot of work it is. That's, that's not rest. That's what isn't tradition, traditional restaurant work. It's, no, but again, you have a, to have an edge. Right, you have like, to keep people interested. Right. So, what do you have? We're uh, running out of time, yeah. unfortunately, because everyone, whenever we have an interview that all of a sudden we're out of time, it's flowing. You're a great guest, and we'll thank Carrie Welch yeah, because Carrie's amazing. She, she told me how great you were going to be and how. <laughs> And she was right, is right, was right. Um, but what, so what do you, first First off, your website URL is? www.ardenpdx.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. Generally, one can assume you just put PDX after the name. I know. But we, they may not know it's just Arden. That's good <laughs> that you have that. And then Instagram is Arden PDX Arden, as Everything's well. Arden PDX, yeah. So that's where people can find you. Uh-huh. And when they go there, what kind, so you talked about your series uh yeah. your, uh wine dinners with uh-huh. women women yeah are those sold out do you still have tickets we still have tickets i mean this is the first one um so it's starting now going to the end of the year and then it skips um october and september for harvest but other than that they're on monday evenings one per month um they're at six thirty. they're four courses and usually five or six wines and it's fun for us because it's all dishes that are not on the menu normally they're all written specifically to pair with the lineup of wines that the winemaker wants to present so they pick the wines and then eric and i put our heads together and talk about you know what we think would go well with those wines and he creates entirely new dishes that never are on the menu again i mean sometimes we've seen a dish hit the menu after a dinner that sort of grew out of that and seeing if people liked it and responded well to it. But they're they're fun, you know, not experimental, but they're fun ways to try new things at the restaurant. Good. And they're very communal. We we seat everyone on big long tables together. So you meet interesting people and it's very fun and casual and the winemaker talks throughout the evening and yeah, they're a lot of fun. So that's the idea and we have a dinner February 27th. Yep, exactly. With, and that's generally been the idea at Portland Food Adventures dinners, but the twist is instead of hearing from wine dinners, you hear from, the from Eric about yeah. his favorite places and where he likes to go. And so I don't like, I prefer not to have it be about the wine. It's yeah, about the food. Absolutely. There's great wine, but we're but not breaking in to food. talk about terroir and all totally. that. So, um, so that's, that, that's there too. So I'm sure you have other events as well. Yeah. And, and so personally, just curious, what do you what do you do outside of the restaurant? What do you have planned for recreation this year? There's not a whole lot of extra time. Um, but I, I mean, last year I, I took a big, long hiatus from acting because um, I kind of got sick of it. And then I got into wine and really grabbed onto that. But last year I did my first play in eight years. 
Um, and it was a blast. I had so much fun and I realized how much I missed it. So if I could do one play a year, I'd be very happy. Um, Would you ever put that on your website so people know where to find you? Because there's, that's I a little mean, depth to the experience. It, Let's go see what Kelsey does, you know, what yeah, her other interest we, is. We did put it in the newsletter when I did Shakespeare in Love this last fall. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I never want to have the, the restaurant do advertising for me personally. But it's of interest to people. Yeah. I would think people would want to, would be especially your regular customers. Yeah. They know you. They would love to go see you. Yeah. And a couple, it was, it was really sweet. A lot of regulars from the restaurant did come to see this play and, and, and it was great. So maybe I can work it subtly into the website somehow. Um, and That's I, such Portland thing. <laughs> don't get, don't be too commercial. Yeah. Just so you have to, organically wend it in so that no one thinks I'm be, I'm advertising. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. and it's, it's fun. I think when you're, I guess I felt guilty for a while or felt like, you know, this is what I'm doing. I think especially as maybe I'm putting this on myself, but as a woman in the industry, especially as like a wine professional, I felt like I had to work extra hard to get any kind of respect. You know, when I first got my certifications and I was buying wine in LA and then when we opened the wine shop in Portland, people immediately just kind of wrote me off. I felt like, you know, because they would look at me and at the time when I was buying in LA, I was only 26 and, you know, I probably looked like I didn't know anything about wine. And so I felt like I had to be very serious and make everyone think like wine was the only thing I did. And I was wholly dedicated to it. And it's not that I'm not, but, but I think when people are multifaceted and have other interests, you know, I was really surprised that when I kind of started telling people, oh, I'm doing a play, you know, I think I was sort of apologizing for it at first and everyone was so supportive and people started talking about, oh, you know, I used to be a musician or I actually used to direct plays in college and I, you know, have this other passion in my life. And I think we should be supporting that in everyone a little more because a lot of people in restaurants aren't, you don't, don't go into restaurants as their end all be all goal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people do have other passions and interests. And so, yes, you're right. We should all be talking about it more. <laughs> I Well, I think it's always fantastic to hear someone's Got this whole other side of their life, especially when you had no idea. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, you do that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I Eric think is great. a musician, you know, and he, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people have. A lot of chefs. Yeah. Do that too. I've uh -huh. always thought there should be a really cool band in Portland with. All made up of chefs. All made up of chefs. But <laughs> Performs the, on but Sunday, they, Mondays, exactly, and at 3 a.m. <laughs> and never, never be able to rehearse. Maybe rehearse <laughs> by, uh, by, um, Skype or something. Skype, yeah. exactly. Thank you for helping me on that. Thank you for helping make this a wonderful interview. Thank you for really having me. Really appreciate it. Um, and um, this will be the first time we've gotten together and yeah. hopefully many more. Look forward to it and hopefully see it well. Excited for the dinner on the 27th. Yeah, well, totally excited for yeah. that. And so uh, we'll see you then. Cool. Thank, Thank you. you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right